Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. You are listening to Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I wanted to say I wish you guys an amazing New Year's. This is the first episode of 2023. And I wanted to do a solo episode because I got wonderful questions from one of you guys. And I wanted to answer that question, which is about caller's mother's sexual experience and how it was transferred to her. And also today we're going to talk about how to create a sexy New Year's resolution or even if you're not into resolution, if you wanted to make changes in your sex life forever and you don't know how to do it, I'm going to walk you through step by step what you need to do to make sure that you're able to create a plan around the goal that you have when it comes to your sex life. I'm going to talk about what could be a path for you with our sex coaching, sex therapy, self-paced program, podcast episode, because there are so many options when it comes for you to learn new ways of connecting with yourself and with your partner that can feel overwhelming and explore many of them with my clients. So I, I can help you with finding what would be a right tool for you. Also, I have a very interesting new season of this show coming your way. I am super excited. I'm doing another round of episodes starting in a couple weeks on sexual skill series. We've done one, one set last year. I think it was three months and we talked about different strategies and tips that you would need to know when you want to implement different sexual skills, such as like having amazing anal sex, oral sex. We talked about pegging, all sorts of things. And what is different about this season is that I listened to many, many podcasts and conversations and read so many articles and I curated season by talking to people from all around the world. These are experts in Europe, in Asia, people that really have interesting tips and actionable things that you can do. So I'm very excited about this season. Also, make sure that you are taking a three-minute survey. So I'm very excited to announce that this week is the start of our seven year in podcasting. I start my podcasting journey in first week of January in 2017. And now we are in first week of January 2023. And proud to say that every single week, I was here and for many of you guys that I know you've been part of our show for last now, I, I believe like six years going to seven years. I'm super grateful for you. That's why I wanted to do a giveaway for our anniversary and one winner will get a hundred dollar Amazon gift card. All you need to do is to take the survey underneath the podcast, wherever you're listening to it, it's going to be in the show notes and you have three weeks to complete it. 
I swear to God, just three questions. And I will use your responses to see what kind of a material will be useful for you. So when you complete the survey, whether you enter your email address to get entered for giveaway or not, it will help me to see what are some of the topics that would be interesting for you to learn more. Because I've done more than 300 episodes on psychology of sex and relationships. And it's really important for me to create a content that would be useful and relevant to your experience. All right, this is a question from the first listener. Hi, Dr. Moali. I have a question for you or an episode idea. If you could do an episode about sexual trauma, like secondary sexual trauma in the body, that'd be greatly appreciated. To make a long story short, I'm adopted and the woman who gave birth to me was serially raped, either by her grandfather, father or uncle. I know this information because I have met my biological relatives. For it didn't click until about six months ago that I had this trauma in my body my entire life. I've never been able to trust men, especially black men. I've always hated being touched as a child. I still hate being touched now. And I've always wondered why. And then one day I attempted to do the bridge position in yoga and it finally clicked. Her trauma is in my body. I learned this from reading The Body Keeps the Score. Please help. I am in EMDR therapy now. Thanks. First of all, thank you so much for trusting me with sharing your information. Unfortunately, trauma can leave a chemical mark on person's genes and get transferred from one generation to next. As you guys know, I'm a psychologist. When I was younger, in my 20s, actually, I double, I'm double majored for my bachelor degree in psychology and biology, and I work at genetic labs. But my information about genetics and kind of like biology, my molecular biology is limited. So I share with you what I know, which again comes from consulting with other colleagues that they published in this area. But I also give you some resources. So if you are curious, to learn more about what I'm talking about, definitely check check those things. What comes to my mind is that epigenetic may play a role in this case. As I mentioned, trauma, research studies show that trauma can leave a chemical mark on person's genes. This mark doesn't necessarily cause a genetic mutation, but it can or it may alter the mechanism by which gene is expressed. One of my wonderful colleagues that does research in New York, she tells me that if you're thinking about your actual coding, genetic coding as hard computer hardware, epigenetic is the software part of it. And this is a newer field in the world of genetic. And the researchers talk about how genes can be turned on and off and expressed differently through changes in environment and behaviors. There are interesting animal studies that show that exposure to stress, cold, high-fat diet is possible to trigger metabolic changes in later generations. A very interesting research study that was done by Rachel Yehuda at Mount Sinai in New York about the experience of children of Holocaust survivors. What Rachel showed that cost survivors' children 
children have the lower baseline level of stress hormone cortisol as well as changes in the pattern of DNA feature and epigenetic marker. But also one thing that's interesting from Rachel's work that it's not necessarily cause and effect. She talks about how we have to be cautious when we're talking about the studies, but her research study that was fascinating was on Holocaust offspring. And what she found in her paper was that the hormonal abnormality in Holocaust survivors were similar to their children. So children didn't experience Holocaust, but they had the similar changes in their hormonal levels. Another interesting study that Dr. Yehuda did was on pregnant were of 9-11. So unfortunately, approximately 1,700 pregnant women were exposed to the World Trade Center attack directly. And Rachel Yehuda's team did an interesting study and recruited 38 women who were pregnant on 9-11. And either they were near World Trade Center or they were part of the attack. And what they did is they, they did study on them. Some of them developed PTSD, of course, if you're experiencing something horrific as witnessing that. And then what she did was like they took sample of saliva from this pregnant woman and measured the levels of stress hormone cortisol. They found that those women who have developed PTSD following exposure to attack had significantly lower cortisol levels in their saliva than those who were similarly exposed but did not develop PTSD. A year passed and her team did measure cortisol levels in the children and found that those born to women who had developed PTSD had lower levels of hormone to others. And what was interesting that reduced cortisol levels were most present in those children whose their mother were in the third trimester of pregnancy when they're exposed to the attack. So doc, one of the things that Dr. Yehuda talks about is like where you are in your pregnancy also impacts how much you're transferring the genes to your offspring. But what I want to cautious against is that these are correlational studies and also on a smaller scale studies. I think that's fantastic that her team is doing this study, but it's not as clear as A to B. But I wanted, I thought it would be important for us to talk about. So this is a little bit of background information that would be interesting for you guys if you're thinking about what we know when it comes to passing on our trauma to our children. That was also very scary for me to read because as an Iranian-American woman who experienced war and also I was conceived in the midst of a revolution, I bet that I have lower cortisol level. And I was thinking about what would that mean for me and for my offsprings if I ever wanted to have child. And it's something that I want you to 
think about that is, first of all, some of these changes are reversible. So they talk about it, how it's necessarily your DNA doesn't change due to to the stress. It doesn't lead to mutation, but it changes the, it changes the expression of the gene. So it makes you more vulnerable to developing PTSD, developing depression, anxiety, and it's something that you can change it by using right coping strategies. One of the great things is that the research studies show that you can change it with doing therapy. All it means that perhaps you have a poor shock absorber, right? That like your environment can possibly impact you more. So you need to be mindful of that and create more protective factors for yourself. So what does the protective factors look like? Whether you want to change the impact of kind of like having this vulnerability in your life or in future generation, it could be doing therapy, it could be doing body work, like movement, like yoga that this listener mentioned that she's doing. So it seems like she's doing tons of great stuff. And it's not, I don't want you to feel hopeless that if you or previous generations experience trauma, is that something that you can not change? But when it comes to this listener's question is that I would be curious to understand the race piece. I don't know about your ethnic background, but you mentioned that the person who assaulted your mom was African-American and you notice that you have that fear of unsafety when you are the African-American around African-American men. My understanding of the passing of a generational trauma is more of kind of like making you more vulnerable. I haven't read anything about the particular experiences of the parents' previous generation's experience impacting the next generation response to that specific population. For example, for Holocaust survivors, it didn't necessarily mean that they have reactions to people from German descent. And made me think more about it. I don't know about your ethnicity, but I know one thing that shows up for my clients that they are adopt. There are lots of different factors played into how they feel about different races. One thing is that if they look different than their adopted parents, that creates different narrative for some of my clients about how they look. I have several clients that they are African-American and they were adopted by Caucasian families living in Caucasian neighborhood. And they sometimes have this internalized experience about like their race, how much they like or dislike being an African-American. The same for people of different marginalized communities, because sometimes when you're not part of quote unquote, your people, your tribe, that impacts how you develop certain emotions or certain race. I don't know about that dynamic for you, but something to think about if you are someone that was adopted from the parents from a different race. Also, it's important to see what kind of stories you have held about your conception and biological parents being giving you up to adoption. I know that's also something that create some stress for some of my clients. But what I hear that it seems like 
you are doing, as I mentioned, tons of great things. Being in therapy is really important. For many of survivors of trauma, talk therapy, only talk therapy, traditional talk therapy is not effective. What's really effective is things like EMDR that you mentioned. Psychedelic assisted therapy also can be helpful. I know we had one episode around it and we had some interesting neurodevelopment around that, that field and what would that look like? Because we know that the trauma can be held in our bodies and leading to physical symptoms. Even years later, some of the symptoms that I talk about with my clients and I hear from them is like feeling of jumpiness, a pain, dissociation, and it can show up if you're slowing down. It can show up during sex. It can show up during day-to-day activity. So it's really important to do body work. Again, another great thing that you're doing is yoga because yoga helps us with the element of embodiments. The reason I'm talking about yoga specifically is that because what your body is in a survival mode where for many survivors, their body is most of the time in survival mode and it will try to protect you with kind of making you hyper aware of situations. So for a lot of people, this this can look like the sexual numbness or being sensitive to touch. Maybe they even are into their partner, they're in their mood. But when it comes to sex, that certain touches can be overwhelming or an opposite end, they might feel nothing in their body. So they're kind of going back to dissociation. Through the practice of movement, it helps us to feel more in control of our body. For any people who have some kind of trauma, it's really important to be mindful of what are you feeling and paying attention on what type of touch feels good and what part doesn't feel good. And if you are with a lover, it's really important to pause them or asking for a time to breathe, to regroup. If in the middle of the situation, like a sexual experience, you feel overwhelmed and you feel like you are getting triggered because that's really important for you to reestablish safety in your body. So as I mentioned, all the things that you're doing is fantastic. There are continue with doing the body work. You know, what's interesting, is so I asked this question on my bigger sex therapy community because I wanted to know what other approaches they tried and one of my colleagues talked about how she had a loving family with unconditional love until she was five six but she always had this fear of intense fear of abandonment and she did a holistic breathwork session through the work with this clinician she went back to her mother's womb and she noticed that she got this vision of her mom was crying for a biological father to not leave her alone and got the vision of her mom crying and saying that kind of like why why don't you love me why you have left me all of these challenging experiences and then she was able to after getting these visions doing EMDR with this experience and she said that a lot has shifted. Another colleague talked about the same mother's womb experience paired with holistic breath. As I'm saying this, I know a few of you guys rolling your eyes. I know people have their own reaction to holistic experiences. But since a couple of my colleagues talk about 
the same modality that helped them, I wanted to put it out there. So if you guys want to research that, I wanted you to have that resource as well. If you're someone that want only evidence-based approach, EMDR, somatic therapy, and yoga are the path that you want to take. Also, my colleague talked about a few of the book suggestions that could be helpful. Some of them are my favorite ones. First one is Body Keeps the Score that this listener mentioned. It's a must for any survivors or and people that they love them. The other wonderful one is The Primal Wound, Understanding the Adopted Child. Another great one is It Didn't Start With You. So if you want to learn more about kind of like these experiences, these could be a great book resources for you. Now to the conversation of sexy resolutions, how to make changes in your relationship. We all heard about New Year's resolution. Maybe you had some for this year. And what's interesting is only about 9% of people keep their resolution. So I'm here to help you develop some commitment resolution that will have a positive impact on your life that you can actually keep. So the first thing I want you to think about is to kind of reflect back on previous year. What were some of aspects of your sex life that you did great or aspect of the relationship you did great? It's really important to pause on that. It could look like different things. Sometimes people, when they think about the past, they get disappointed that it feels like I haven't reached the goal I had, but it could be as small as we had more physical touch, or it could be I gathered more information about sex, listening to different podcasts. Now, I know more about pleasure. So it's really important to think about what did you accomplish and what was something that you struggled with? What was challenging? If you're thinking about relational sexual experiences, what was challenging in your relationship? If you're thinking about your sex life, what was challenging for you? There are different ways that you can do that. For, for example, one way is to think about the resolution and commitment that you made the year before. How successful were you in carrying that resolution? What got in the way of you seeing results? So for many couples, I think one of the challenging thing is that they want to make changes, but they they don't necessarily plan out how they can get there. And also it's important that how much of a commitment this change is. Sometimes people kind of make less lofty goals. And it's really important if you are psychologically making a resolution, making a promise to yourself, it's really important for you to choose something that you're planning to actually do. Because you want to kind of like create this narrative inside that I'm the person that if I want to change something, I'm I'm going to take action and do it. One of the uh, successful clients that I work with, he was a very well-known CEO of one of these like main companies. And at times I was asking him for commitment to assignments. And he was saying that unless I know I'm planning to do it, I'm not going to say yes, because my how I view myself is really important. The reason I'm saying this is if you want to choose a resolution, kind of relationship, make a relationship commitment, is to think about how much of a priority is this? How much of a, how much I'm willing to 
dedicate my resources to this. Because sometimes people say that they even come to therapy saying that this year I want to reconnect sexually with my partner. And then we're, we're working through things. We want to talk about assignments, kind of like creating space to connect with the partner. Everything else is a priority over that intimate time with the partner. So it's really important to be honest with you that what would be a win for this year? And is this the year that you're making a big or small commitment? Example of small commitment could be maybe once a month, we're having a sexy date night. More of a bigger commitment is once a month for people who are more risk averse doing kind of incorporating something novel. We have a list of 100 different things that you can do in the bedroom. So you don't need to worry about kind of finding what you're going to do in the bedroom, but just a matter of making commitment. Also, I think if you are experiencing a sexual dysfunction, or if your partner is struggling with a sexual dysfunction, it's really important to think about what would be a road ahead look like? As I mentioned earlier in this episode, you have options of tackling things. And it's really important to find a roadmap that will help you to make the changes you want. It can be on your pace, but its roadmap is important. One of the challenges for many couples when it comes to improving their sex life is the taboo they're experiencing when it comes to sexual challenges or even prioritizing their sex life. There was this fantastic article that was published in The Economist and the title was The Taboo Around Sexual Health Are Weakening. So it's really important for you to work through that if you are uncomfortable for asking for help, to think about what are the easier way that you can start changing and make shifts in your life. So if you are someone that you are uncomfortable talking about sex, maybe going to a sex therapist can be a challenging thing to do. People have all sorts of misconceptions with about sex therapy. One thing is that they think sex therapists can be intrusive. They need to, some people said like take off their clothing. It's a form of talk therapy. And probably if you go to sex therapists, they heard hundreds of stories similar to your stories and they will be helpful with creating this roadmap and seeing the result quickest. So the quickest way of making shifts in your sex life is working with a licensed sex therapist. But if you're someone that you feel that like you have so many internalized shame around talking about sex, it's uncomfortable for you to seek out help, then the next way would be taking a class. I think the trend that will continue in 2023 is this different types of courses around sexual health. And it's important to think about, okay, what kind of information I need to gather in order to be able to have the sex life I want. One of the great resources that I highly recommend is actually is one of our sponsor, omgs.com. They have this very interesting catalog of people talking about their sexual experiences, different way of exploring their bodies, different, different kinds of thrusting, connecting. So it can give you good ideas and good inspiration if you want to connect with your partner in a different way, or you want to bring different kind of connection with your partner. I also 
have clients that they had struggles with experiencing orgasm and they found their content very helpful with that. You don't need to have sexual dysfunction to use their program, but that's something that I also have seen people as a side benefit saw some changes. You can, if you happen to want to use omgs.com, make sure that you're using our, our link, which is omgs.com slash sexology. I'm not saying this because they are our sponsor. I'm saying this because I often recommend this for many of my clients. And there are different programs. There are different apps that can give you the tools and strategies on being able to make some changes in your relationship without the discomfort of going to a sex therapist or couple therapist. There's another app that I was part of that called MJoy, and they created this curriculum with many of my wonderful colleagues. So I talk about how to bring sexual novelty in MJoy. You can check out their content and show notes, but I have like many of my other colleagues talking about anal sex, oral sex, relational challenges. So I, I personally love that app. We had many, many other colleagues on the show that they talked about different courses that they have. You can email me if you need resources beside these two that I mentioned. I would be happy to send you to the one of the colleagues that have a course on it. The benefit of these more of passive courses, like passive meaning that they don't have a live instructor is that first of all, you can do it on your own pace, meaning that it could be like, we're going to do one module per month. So what it means that we're dedicating 10 minutes per month to our sex life, or we're doing one module per week. The other benefit of it is that you don't need to sit with the discomfort of kind of going to see someone. The challenge with some of the more of uh, evergreen content is that you don't get the benefit of asking questions from a live person because all of our experiences are different and sometimes that accountability piece is important and also if you get stuck that person if it's a live workshop or therapy that person can help you to get unstuck but that's a easiest way that you can make changes in your sex life. And also when we're spending money on things, it encourages us to invest more. The other way is, as I mentioned, if you want to see the quickest result, I recommend you go to a sex therapist or a sex coach. There are differences between sex therapy and sex coach. Sex coaches are great, but you need to find the right ones because anyone can call themselves the sex coach. You don't need a specific accreditation to be a sex coach. So if you're choosing a coach, make sure that there's someone that you heard great testimonial about or they're known about like teaching a specific technique. What I mean is like, if you want to learn shibari, bondage, BDSM, it's helpful to know that who's the person that teaches this versus someone that maybe you just found on Google. Sex therapy, the best part is that someone that who's able to understand your experiences, background, and also in addition to help you to make changes, they're able to also to rewire your brain. Something that we don't value value enough or we don't talk enough about it is about the rewiring of the brain piece. When I was a graduate student, my my professor who I worked with was Dr. Lou Cozzolino, and he published one of the well-known 
book while I was working with him, Neuroscience of Psychotherapy. And he talks about kind of talking about epigenetic, how we can change expressions of genes and life experiences by doing psychotherapy can change your brain and rewire your brain. And that is priceless versus just, you know, learning a skill. Learning skill has its own value as well, but it's it's important to make sure that you're knowing what what to choose and who to choose. If you're in California, I have limited opening. You can contact me if you want to be seen for sex therapy. If you are living in other parts of US or internationally, a great directory for finding a sex therapist is ASAC.org. They have the list of sex educator and sex therapists. And in order to be part of the ASAC, you need to meet some criteria. Lastly, maybe you you feel like things are great. You don't need additional help. You're the person that you're very motivated or you're at a good place in the relationship. So what you want to do is maybe if it's with your partner, meeting with them and creating a plan of having a roadmap is important and kind of identifying what are some of the markers along this way. For example, if you want to have more novelty in the relationship, what would that look like? If this is the year that you want to experiment with opening up the relationship, what are some of the things that you need to keep in mind? For example, the opening up the relationship, perhaps you want to talk about your agreement. Maybe you can kind of go into different places to observe people in open relationship. There are conventions, sex clubs, kind of like sex parties to see that, like, how are you feeling about your partner interacting with other people? So you can kind of see that how are things evolving? And kind of like having this dedicated time in your schedule to do a check-in and talk about what works and what doesn't work. As I shared with you guys, in a few weeks, we're going to start our sexual skill series. And that also can be a source of inspiration for you if you're thinking about adding things in your relationship. Perhaps if you're thinking about but we want to kind of bring some different types of pleasure in the bedroom, I highly recommend you to make sure you and your partner listening to those episodes on your own and talking about if this is like this week's skill is something that you want to do or not. Make sure you are taking the survey, whether you want to enter for the giveaway or not. The survey is anonymous unless you put an email for the giveaway. And it will mean a lot to me because I want to make sure that I'm creating a podcast that is useful for you and, and will make it different in your sex life. Feel free to DM me Instagram at sexology podcast and let me know what is your resolution and I'll talk to you next week right here thanks for listening to sexology podcast for more great content visit www.sexologypodcast.com please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider